a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hello, hola, how goes it, my friends? It's so good to be back with you, my friends. I know, I know. It's so nice, so nice to be back. This is a good space. What are y'all consuming as a beverage on this? Well, for Stephen and I, it's a very hot day, but for Josh, it's raining. Mr. Seattle, baby. That's Seattle, baby. I'm drinking Uh. a vodka spritz that my housemate didn't want, uh, and I have not tasted it yet. Let's taste it. Oh. Oh. You know, it's all right. Um, the can says grapefruit <laughs> and rosé, but that actually could just be rose. It might just be rose. It's not bad, but I don't think I would buy it. Okay. <laughs> You've heard it here. Like, I'm drinking it, and it's refreshing. From, yeah. Yeah. It's not bad. I don't think I would spend my money, though. Would not buy okay. again, but. Yeah. But for free. Tolerable. Great for deal. this one time. Yeah. Awesome yeah. deal. It satisfies for, for now. That's good. Okay, now I know what not to buy. Thanks, Josh. You heard it here. Yeah, yeah, Emily, when you get back to alcohol, the world of alcohol has changed so much since you've become pregnant, Emily. You gotta take notes. Yes, oh my goodness, there's so much to explore. Oh, I'm just overwhelmed. Speaking of alcohol, I am enjoying one of the newer flavors of White Claw. I am imbibing the Blackberry. Um, Ain't no laws when drinking claws. Was that the saying? See, maybe you do know some things that I even don't, and I'm not pregnant. (laughs) This one is very, the one I'm drinking is very similar to White Claw, but I feel like this does have better flavor, I will admit, because I also don't Mm. think White Claw is the best. Uh, Truly is the way to go. So maybe if someone wants like an elevated White Claw, maybe the vodka spritz is the way to go. I I take it back. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Emily, what are you drinking today then? I am enjoying a nice glass of sweet tea, the only bit of caffeine that I've had today. So nice. But I, f- I feel that it was fitting for the day since it's 97 degrees here. Uh, yeah. It's summer, baby. Here we are. Um, so it's my topic today. I feel like it's been eons since I've chosen a topic. Well, and technically, say, it's been like three episodes, right? Yeah. Well, and in same, real same in re- thing. and in real like calendar time, it's been like a month since you brought a topic. Oh, that's I true. Oh, yeah, I know it's crazy. So, since I usually like to go way out there with topics, um, oh, can I just say I thought, Chef's yes. Kiss on Aliens? That one was so much fun. Oh, I thought that one was great. It was it was totally out there. <laughs> oh, actually, there. before we get started, uh, we totally spaced it. Our drinks were bought this week. <gasps> All three they of them, were. yes. They yes, were they bought were. by um, our new friends, who we're getting to know a little bit more, uh, Chad, 
Anna or Anna. I actually don't know how to pronounce her name. I'm so sorry. And Kyle. I know Kyle. Yay. Thank and, you, uh, all three of you. Thank you so much for supporting us and buying our drinks. It's great to have you and get to know you. It is. It's so nice to see everyone chatting it up on Discord and sharing their insight and getting to know everyone. It I really know, is. right? The Discord, really nice. the Discord is becoming a truly wonderful place. I'm very happy. It is. And I think we're going to enjoy it even more as we continue to grow and diving into crazy topics and getting new new Patreons and new new members on the Discord. Um so for my topic, I have a little story before I actually share the topic. So okay. my husband, Alex, loves, uh, I mean, with a deep burning passion, loves scary movies. Okay. I do not. In fact, I, I don't even know how I sit and tolerate through any scary movie. It, it just frightens me so much. And it's not so much that... The movie itself is scary. It's just I hate the elements of surprise and just the goriness of some of them. And they're they're just out there, you know? Well, so one of the series, I guess, of like movies that have been coming out, the newest one being The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, right? So we had Mm. to watch it on HBO Max. It actually surprisingly was good. I was able to sit through the whole thing. Didn't have high blood pressure or a high heart rate or anything of that nature. Um, But it got me thinking about exorcisms. It got me thinking. It got me thinking about the stigma around exorcisms and mental health and spirituality. Particularly because I won't spoil anything for those who are dying to see it. But this is the case... For Ed and Lorraine, who, for the first time, they actually get to use, in a court case, the plea of insanity because of possession to help a individual who is on trial for murder. And it was one of those things where, I think in a previous episode, not too long ago, we really quickly touched on it. And I think it's something worth exploring, this idea of mental health and spirituality and exorcisms. Exorcisms in particular are just such a bizarre thing. We There's a fascination with it in scary movies and horror films. And why I really, I understand why, but I would like to just kind of dive more deeply into it and kind of get a sense of where do you guys see exorcisms fitting in with mental health and spirituality? Do you do you think they're legit? Do you think they're worth it? Or is it all a bunch of hoopla? I mean, where do you see spirituality and mental health coming together, whether in your personal life or just in the world around us? Um, wow. Um, so yeah, many questions. There's so much that we could explore with this topic. So I just kind of want to see where it goes. Exorcisms is a weird one for me. Uh, like, I feel like the connection about scary movies is a great point because there are so many movies that really utilize the exorcism angle. And I feel like it probably started with the exorcist movie, like the original one kind of playing off of like the exorcism of Emily Rose. Yeah. I think that was the full title, Uh, like playing off of the trope of the Catholic exorcism. Have you ever seen an exorcism? Have you ever like been a part of one or witnessed one in person? No, 
And I don't know if I would want to, honestly. I guess it depends on like what we mean by exorcism, because I have been, I think I would say I've been present to an exorcism. No. Whoa. Okay, I need to hear this now. But it like depends on how we're defining it, because like so well, many scary movies. Freedom. That's the freedom yeah. of it. But like so many movies play off of the trope of the Catholic exorcism, which is like really liturgical and outlined and like it's from a book and like, right? Stuff like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then I've seen, I feel like I've seen several people somehow work it into a part of a service, like the prayer for deliverance in a way. Like it's a very mm. like charismatic Pentecostal thing to do, like kind of based off of like Wimber's vineyard philosophy. Sure. So I feel like I've seen that in some contexts. I've also seen like someone appear to be possessed and like someone like pray for the demon to be gone. But mm -hmm. if you'll remember from the episode we did about Satan and demons, I don't believe in those mm -hmm. as beings. Right. That's right. So this is what I'm left with. <laughs> like I like because obviously some people experience these things. And some people believe that they are possessed or somehow involved with demons or that other people are. And here I am left with, like, even though, like, something called exorcisms take place and some people believe that they happen or, like, something is affected by them, here I am not believing in demons over here in my little corner of Christianity. And the only, like, tool I have left to describe these phenomena are psychology. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that that is commonly understood by people who practice and believe in exorcisms or like demon deliverance or whatever you call it, whatever sure. form it takes. Mm -hmm. Like I, I know people personally, who, I mean, not well, like, I guess I, I should say I know of them <laughs> um, that will regularly involve like demon deliverance as a part of their ministry and i've heard rumors of them like sprinkling salt around the room to like trap the demon or whatever like i've heard of some very in my opinion far out practices among christians who like pray for demons to be gone mm -hmm. that se to me seem a little occult like oh yeah if that makes sense i don't i had to put a label on it cuz i don't want to like stigmatize people who believe in those things, but I don't know. I've just like, I've heard of some weird practices that like, I don't necessarily see the reason behind. Mm. What about you, Steven? I am pretty much in your camp, Emily, where I don't care for many scary movies at all, unless it's a quiet place. Love, oh, okay. I love yeah. That, that one I can get behind. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't, I've honestly never taken the dive into the genre. So like I've heard of the conjuring, and the exorcist, but I've never seen them. Um, I think in general, my opinion, I want to be, you know, it's like, it's kind of what I hear you trying to express Josh, where it's like, I want to be respectful and leave room for people who do believe that a, like a demon is inhabiting a human body. But at the same time, like I, I struggle with like where we should draw the line where like, I don't, maybe there. <laughs> Are we are we trying to psychologize something that's actually something spiritual or are we trying to mm. spiritualize something that is purely psych psychological and physiological, like mm. an imbalance mm -hmm. of the brain causing 
certain synapses to fire in a weird sequence such that you are hallucinating like a creature in the room or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. But I guess I know, should note too that like I think that spiritual deliverance can be a very real thing for lots of people. Like Alcoholics Anonymous, great example of that. Mm. They talk about oh, alcoholism yeah. as a spiritual problem and that you need spiritual deliverance from that, even though it's not Christian specific. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. Stephen, I really like that phrase that you used of, are we spiritualizing something that's psychological and physical or are we making something? I I think that's a good point, especially when I think about any of the scary movies that involve exorcisms or any religious figure or ritual. When they start the movie and it says based on a true story and then mm-hmm. you see these totally elaborate scenes where this person's like tied down to a bed and, you know, their head is spinning around and there's this voice change and there's supposedly documentation of this. It just really makes you wonder, is it legit? And I'm really glad that we're trying to maintain an avenue of respect because I don't want to downplay or degrade any of this for people who do believe, especially if people have been impacted by exorcisms. I know that's definitely a reality of maybe loved ones who have gone through an exorcism or know of those who have gone through an exorcism, depending on what that looked like. That's a very real experience for people. And I think it's important that we really try to ravel it out and understand why they happen. What is it that we need to keep in mind when talking about these things that they're not just fads for people Mm. you know Mm. they are they are something that's deeper than just a scary movie plot i remember one guy in i think we were in high school at the time and somehow we were talking about like some revival ministry kind of person like coming through town and like preaching for a couple nights and he had gone to uh the evening service and he was telling me that this guy's like ministry specialty, if you will, was like telling people what demons were in them and like delivering them. And so this guy I knew told me like, yeah, this guy told me I had seven demons in me and like got them out of me. And I, even at the time, me believing in demons and totally believing them from like a spiritual warfare kind of perspective, even I was like, what does that even mean? Like, mm. <laughs> like, what are we actually believing happens? Because, like, you weren't acting possessed. Like, I feel like a lot of people point to the narratives where Jesus encounters, like, the demoniac or, mm. uh, like, that's the most famous example. Yeah. Who, like, is a person acting out of their mind. But, like, this guy that I knew <laughs> was not acting out of his mind, out, like, uncontrollably, like, as if he was speaking, like, a demon was speaking through him. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it was all... Yeah, everything involved was implicit and under the radar, right? Yeah. And so I think even me at the time, I think that's maybe where I first started to start to rethink <laughs> what it even means for someone to be like spiritually delivered or even the remote possibility of a demon, if it exists, affecting mm-hmm. your consciousness at all. Wouldn't yeah. Wouldn't a demon that's influencing him under the radar as you keep saying like isn't that the equivalent of aa saying there are spiritual 
forces behind alcoholism or something. That sounds the same mm. to me. Sure. I guess it depends on like how you frame it, right? Because like we kind of talked about on our demons episode, like you can totally believe in spiritual forces, but you don't have to necessarily believe that they are persons. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. Right. They can just be things. But I like even I'll admit there is definitely a very large overlap in what I would term spiritual deliverance and like psychological healing. Like I think they are very oh, closely yes. linked. Like I'm trying to think of another example besides like Alcoholics Anonymous off the top of my head. Hmm. I think addiction is a great example. Yeah. I think other well, examples could include something like anger or like emotional problems. Like, Well, that's what I was just thinking, like personality issues or, um, well, look at the history of even just the ties between the medical field and psychology with hysteria and with schizophrenia, you know, people mm-hmm. believing that they were possessed. You know, we clearly don't think that today, but there's still. Well, there's, yeah, but some people do. That's the thing. Yeah, there's still this really strong tie to, especially with schizophrenia. You know, you think of Son of Sam and um, people like that who they thought they were hearing Satan or demons telling them to do something. Like, the go-to, though, wasn't an exorcism for them. It was they went through the judicial system and was found guilty. Mm. But for people in the past, it would have been, oh, call the priest. They need an exorcism or they need a lobotomy or whatever the case may be. I had a teacher half a dozen years ago who is a psychiatrist, uh, but she's also a Christian counselor, but she has a psychiatry license also. Um, So she's like been through med school. So like that's like (laughs) psychiatry is such a hard field to get into (laughs) if you didn't know that. Totally. (laughs) Like it is so impressive that someone becomes a psychiatrist. It is not for the faint of heart. Because it's like beyond doctor. Alex isn't a psychiatrist, is he? No. Okay. Well, I'm sure he's still amazing. Um, but she <laughs> taught. Uh, <laughs> so this psychiatrist was teaching us this class on healing and deliverance. And we read John Wimber's book. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it's called On Healing and Deliverance or something like that. And she pointed out that even though she completely believes in demons and praying for deliverance, she was very careful not to call them exorcisms, which I thought was interesting. Mm. She also made a really, really clear point to distinguish between people who have schizophrenia or dissociative identity disorder, which are very real conditions that Mm -hmm. are psychological. She made a very clear point to distinguish between those and people who are like literally battling demons, Mm. which I thought was really interesting. Like she, she made a point to say like, those are not demonic. Those are psychological conditions that are protecting the individual. Oh, interesting. So there's like also those people too who are very psychologically informed mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. believe in demons. Yeah, because she's not invalidating like the the reality of something happening beyond like personality dissociation or anything. Right. I feel like there's a huge spectrum of belief on this one. Yeah. <laughs> what does the Methodist church believe in general about exorcisms or the influence of the demonic on humans. Oh, we, we, we don't even talk about it. That's like, we have a a hard time talking about the Holy spirit. And that's just, don't even get me started on that. Why? I don't know. But I think, I don't know. I feel like we have something in our social principles regarding 
Like, well, because we we talk a lot about addictions and we talk about mental health. Um, that's one of our like social justice avenues that we really try to pursue. But we don't really touch on elements of the spiritual world and like demons. And I'm kind of glad, honestly, I think if we not saying if we were, we would get distracted. But if we were, we would get distracted <laughs> from what our goal as Methodists are and wanting to pursue the good news and creating disciples for transformation of the world. You know, we don't need a little asterisk at the bottom saying, and for demons and possessions, we blah, blah. like, no, that I think it right. would. Which is like the Catholic trope. Yes. Right. And But then like some Protestant circles like Charismatic and Pentecostal have like swung the other direction of like not having it all outlined, but there's like a really common core belief in demon delivery and possession, yeah. et cetera. Like a systematic theology yeah. available. Yeah. Yeah. So Emily, there was, there was, there's no kind of training for you in your ordination process or even in seminary. Did you talk about this? Nope. Not, not even once. And have you personally, really? not even in seminary, have you like no. witnessed anything close to what we might be trying to describe as demon possession or influence or an exorcism or anything like that? If we're widening the scope beyond the typical Catholic trope, I would say in that sense, I have as a work, you know, as working as a chaplain, we would have individuals who would come into the ER or who were admitted. Hmm. And I would say there were some who definitely it was purely psychological whether it be chemical imbalances or whatever the case may be. But there were a few individuals that I would leave the room after having conversations with them. And there mm. would be something in the back of my head that was, that was just kind of knocking away saying, there's something more going on here. And whether it's a combination of, you know, family history, psychological upbringing, current social awareness, whatever the case may be, there was something that was missed. Like there was something more happening that I couldn't quite put my finger on. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering if that was something like cosmic or spiritual. I would only see these people once because by the time, you know, I would be back on the floor, they were either checked out or didn't want to see a chaplain and they have that right. So it would have been nice to have further conversation with them, hmm. but I don't, yeah, I don't know. There's so much to, there's so much to explore with this. And I'm wondering if so much of it is because when we hear exorcism, we think of the classic Catholic ritualistic approach to an exorcism. Yeah. Sprinkling holy water and just shouting, the power of Christ compels you. The power yes. of Christ compels you. <gasps> Having yeah. a crucifix and there's, you know. Like I said, there's distortion and you have contortionism and <laughs> hearing voices and the lights flicker. And it's like, there's probably truth to that. Like, I, I can't say that there isn't, but it would be nice to see something on the other side of it where it is more subtle and less ritualistic. Hmm. Why is it that we have such a fascination? That's what I want to know. Like, what is it that that draws people in? But I think it's the unknown. Yeah. And it's almost like a fantasy of like, what would it be like to completely lose control? 
Huh, interesting. Say more what you mean. Well, I don't know even if I know what I mean, but like, I, I <laughs> it feels like the common, yeah, I don't know, maybe the common trope you see, like Emily was, like what she was describing, like there's a different voice coming out of a person's body or they're like twisting their limbs in really weird ways. Like, I don't know if it's maybe not a fantasy in that like people want it to happen. Maybe it is a, the unknown thing, Josh, but I just, I, I, I wonder if there isn't an element to like, like we want to, we seek out films that scare us or that like depict for us something that we don't see in our everyday life. And I don't know if mm-hmm. that's just exploring the unknown or, you know, like kind of what I said, I, I just, I wonder if people are just, I don't know, intrigued or fascinated with the idea of like, oh, wow, the person in the first act of that movie was totally normal. And then she played with a Ouija board and now she's going insane, mm-hmm. you know, and it's the, like, okay, yeah. I have two thoughts after you're saying that. Sure. Um. One, I feel like some Christians are guilty of doing like a demon of the gaps, kind of like God of the gaps, if you will. I'm so glad you're saying this. I'm so you know glad. What I, mean? I know exactly. Like, what of you course, mean. Christians do that a little bit, and like, yeah, that's like the best. <laughs> that is the best argument against believing in God. <laughs> it's like if you only believe in God because you're doing God of the gaps. Yeah, that's right. not a great reason. Right. <laughs> um, but I feel like Christians are also guilty sometimes of doing a demon of the gaps where. You like see something that's inexplicable, like the person on the street today, no, yesterday, that I just saw just bouncing around and like going crazy on the street. And if you like already believe in demons as a part of your worldview, of course you're going to be like, well, that's probably a demon. Yeah. <laughs> like there's like somehow probably a demon involved in there mm-hmm. or something. And you just like apply it to the uncertain things that you like can't explain otherwise mm-hmm. to some degree. I feel like that happens. Good point. Um, my other thought was, nope, I lost it. It's gone. I don't know what my other thought was. Oh, beans. Oh, no. Do you know Come what I'm back, saying thought. about the demon of the gaps thing? The demon of the mm-hmm. gaps stole your second train of thought. There it goes. It was a demon. That's where it went. <laughs> Bye-bye. It had been. <laughs> oh, my other thought was, oh, the demon left. I'm my, my, um, possessed. Uh, my thought has now been repossessed you've, by you've me. You've been delivered. Um, Take every thought captive, Josh. <laughs> I've taken my thought captive from the demon that just tried to steal it. <laughs> Wrestle it back. Um, <laughs> my other thought is, I wonder if other religions also struggle with these conceptions. Like, for instance, other religions, even other Abrahamic religions kind of believe in demons or there's like jinn concepts Yep. also. Yeah. I wonder if other religions struggle with towing the line between spiritual health and potential possession, or if they even like conceptualize that at all as a possibility. I, hmm, that's a good question. Or if it's more of like a tongue in cheek thing, like sometimes something happens and my go-to is like, oh, it's the ghost. Like, it's like a tongue in cheek thing. Like, I don't actually think it's a ghost that's doing it. Mm. But it's like a funny explanation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know there are topics or just straight up similarities between Christianity. Like, for instance, like in Judaism, I know there are extensive writings regarding exorcisms um, and the rituals behind that that are similar to like what the Catholic Church would do. But obviously they would inquire different right, like different texts would be uh, there and 
they'd have different rituals, but there there are some similarities between the Catholic Church's ritualistic exorcisms and Judaism. But yeah, it would be interesting to know if like Islam, you know, how they deal with exorcisms, Buddhism or Hinduism. You know, I know like Chinese folk religion, like Taoism, exorcisms and per are uh performed a lot because of individuals being possessed and it's regarded to being possessed by a ghost, not so much a, a demon. Oh, but yeah, a ghost. yeah. But I, I wonder, too, if part of it is Americanized. You know what I'm saying? So like the Christian mm. church, if in the United States, we have a fascination with exorcism and maybe it looks different compared to Christianity around the world. That would be something worth exploring, because I think contextually we romanticize it. I think we do. We have this fascination with the unknown and we want to ramp it up as much as we can and so we make it fascinating to see on horror films and books and things like that you know so so many people are fascinated with the annabelle doll and and things of that nature but i don't i don't know if that would be a thing outside of that context yeah i think i brought it up in our demons episode i'm very curious with I don't know if we call I should call it a phenomenon because the last thing I want to do is make it sound like oh look at those those people they experience demons a lot and they believe in demons and us in America like I, I like I don't want to come across like we're more enlightened or anything like that but I I've never known what to do with like when I express a disbelief in demons or possession when people say like oh well you should be a missionary in Africa cuz demons are all over Africa you know, like, I don't, I've heard that so like many that, times. I don't know if it's a, like a geographical thing or if it literally is like, mm. because on the whole, maybe more of the population believes in demons there. It's more easy to ascribe something to demonic activity versus like a very materialist culture, like post enlightenment, postmodern culture like America right now. Do we just not see it because we don't believe in it? Like, did the devil, like, successfully dupe us to be like, oh, finally, they don't believe in me, and now they're just going to subscribe? You know, mm. like, there is that classic, like, the greatest lie the devil ever told was, or, like, the greatest trick he ever pulled on the church was convincing it that he didn't exist or something. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if we just don't see it enough or if we don't talk about it enough and just, you know, some African cultures are just different and they're willing to talk about it. I don't know what to do with that. I'm very, I'm very perplexed by it. Josh. It makes me think too. Oh, go ahead. Well, so Josh, you said you've heard that line of thinking before. How, how, how have you grappled with it? I mean, the place I've ended up is like, I don't believe in demons. Right. And I've been that way for quite a few years now. Is there is there um, a risk of someone saying? I'm trying to think of maybe the last time I heard that yeah. phrase. Well, I mean, is there a risk of someone who has either been to or lives in Africa, is there a risk of someone telling you basically like, well, yeah, you have the luxury of like not believing in it. Or is it really a question of experience? Like, of course you wouldn't believe in it. You haven't experienced it. Like I have. Hmm. So here's the difficulty for me is like, Emily, you brought up the point earlier about like different contexts and different cultures. And Mm -hmm. there is already disconnect there, let alone language barrier. And then when you start to 
superimpose religion on top of that, even if you try to like keep beliefs the same, let alone practices, and then there's even if there's like any sort of mixture or confusion with any local beliefs or practices, things can quickly not mesh. Or like like someone could go from the US to a different context and like try to meet Christians in that context and like could experience disconnect. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, no matter if it's happening in a different country or like a different culture or it's happening here, what I'm most interested in and what I find so fascinating personally is like what are the clues that people think are cluing them in to then concluding that there is a demon influencing anything? Like, is it only human behavior? Is it, oh, there's a lot of drug and alcohol use here. There's spiritual unhealth, therefore demon. Or Mm. is it literally there's a person who like shouts in the streets, I am possessed by a demon. Like, what is it? Like, what is the biggest clues to people that they then conclude from demon? Yeah, because I don't think we would hope it would be something as obvious as I'm possessed written on our forehead, you know, but is is there even something universal that is a sign of possession or is that contextual as well? I mean, I would even go as so far as to say, even if someone is saying that so explicitly, in some ways I could agree with them, but the way I interpret it is their subconscious is somehow surfacing and making it explicit that they have spiritual unhealth. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think I can quickly get on board with like spiritual unhealth, even of an individual or even in a community at large. Um, but not, I don't feel the need to go so far as to say that I think that there are person, there are like conscious beings external to us that are somehow in us or influencing us. Mm-hmm. Like, I have no problem talking about spiritual unhealth as like, a phenomenon in an individual or a community. I think that's a very real thing. I think we see it more than we care to admit, honestly. Yeah, and then the question becomes like, well, what do we do with it? Like, to me, that's mm-hmm. the easy part. Like, it's really easy for me to, even now, like, I just judge people all the time. <laughs> like, I can easily look at someone and be like, well, you're not as good as you could be. Like, you're probably, like, fighting your own battles, too. But, like, mm. obviously, mm-hmm. things could be better. And I know that my personal disconnect is like, I don't know if I can help you slash how to help you Yeah. when I see spiritual unhealth, especially if it's someone that I don't know. We're going to take a quick break to say a few thank yous, then we'll be back to our conversation. Thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Y'all are such a huge encouragement to us. If you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, The Into Podcast. 
I think because it ended up being funny that I told Keegan that he literally scared the shit out of me. Mm, yep. <laughs> Three things. Saki bomb, warm soft serve ice cream, and uh, Sharknado underwear. I swallow gum and <laughs> it's down there. It's all stuck. <laughs> and Alex goes, Mommy, I gotta poo. <laughs> and our friends go, Again? <laughs> yeah, I got NFTs, non flushable turds. <laughs> and now, back to the conversation. It makes me sad when I hear, um, I don't remember who I was talking to. Maybe I was talking to my husband about this. Um, clients of his who uh, come out as gay or lesbian or part of the LGBTQ community mm. and loved ones, parents, grandparents, whomever, who feel that they need to be like exercised in a sense, like they need to uh. have a cleansing. And it just makes me think of... Mm. So many individuals who have been victims of abuse, victims of negligence, you know, misidentification of mental illness, where for others, they think the obvious answer is, oh, well, they just need to go see someone and have their demons released from them. And that like this is the 21st century, people <laughs> like we we have to see the importance of mental health. We have to mm. see the importance of medical professionals and those who are educated and well-versed in the sciences of, you know, social work and things like that, where they're being underutilized or overlooked. And for us to still hold on to this idea of, well, they're just being possessed or there's a demon or, you know, this is something that we can just pray over and it'll be fine. It's like, no, that's not always... That's not always the case. You know, people who are so against medication or seeking medical help for their mental well-being. It's like, well, God gave us these gifts for a reason. Mm. I think it's important that we utilize it and we don't hold on to this ancient idea of just seeking out an exorcist, whatever that looks like for for that person. We have this it's a weird balance where we have this obsession with it. And it's so cool to have it interpreted through movies and to have this unknown. And yet in the real world where there is spiritual unrest and we have real life problems that people want to blame it solely on the spiritual. I deal with that with people in Cody. No joke. There mm. are people who just feel that if you just pray about it and that's all you have to do and you can seek out a priest later. Don't worry about seeing a doctor. Don't worry about, you know, taking a Tylenol for a headache. That's just a demon that you can exercise it yourself. Where do we draw the line? There has to be a way that we draw the line. Between, like, how to seek spiritual help versus... Yes. Like, medical help? Well, or even just romanticizing the idea of an exorcism and mm. demons. And then actually seeing, like, people struggling with mental health and knowing that it is not something solely spiritual, that it is actually something psychological. And yet we mm -hmm. want to romanticize that as well. The thing that you just reminded me of too is like, 
there is a striking similarity to me between like the expelling of demons out of oneself and like believing that like something actually takes place. There's something really similar to that and the idea of venting. Mm. Like we believe that like we will expel something and it will make us better and like get something out of ourselves. And like, I think some people even have that idea when it comes to therapy, which is in my mind, a misconception of what therapy is meant to be like talk therapy traditionally. I, I'd actually be curious to hear Alex's take on this. I know Alex is not on the pod, but you should ask him later about this. Because I'll just telepathically draw his <laughs> knowledge. Because I think that some people think of like talking to someone, like you should talk to someone as like, well, they just need to get it out and then they'll be mm-hmm. better. And that's really similar to like this idea of like demon possession and exorcism. I yeah. was listening to this podcast a couple weeks ago. It's from the Happiness Lab. And the title of it is PJ and Alex Love to Gripe. And they talk about the science behind like how venting actually doesn't make you happier. <laughs> like scientifically, it actually makes you worse. A <laughs> fun fact. And to me, that's so interesting that like we have this conception, whether we're talking about demons or not, that mm-hmm. if you just get it out somehow, or like some people like to talk about energy, like, well, you just like need to get that nervous energy or sexual energy just get it out and then you'll be better but Mm -hmm. yeah there's like this conception of like release but based off of all the stuff i've listened to i just like keep concluding that that is just a broad misconception yeah and so then like thinking about like spiritual unhealth regardless of whether or not we believe that a demon or a conscious being is somehow affecting us other than humans um, maybe we should like also get rid of that idea that like we don't actually need to expel something to change something. Mm. What in your mind replaces the idea of expulsion then? Is it just like inclusion is transformation? Right yeah, but maybe like maybe like incorporation or something like you know, like if there's a shadow side, yeah, to, something like that to speak of. If there's a shadow side to ourselves that we need to deal with, really, the key is incorporating it in some meaningful way because like i don't know this this is one of the primary gifts that i've i've been given through the enneagram that that idea of being able to look at your own way of responding to certain stimuli or your own way of like well for me enneagram one anger is like my thing and it manifests and beyond just being like part of a type like what the Enneagram has shown is that this is true of me. I'm not just trying to describe it the one type, but when I get angry, I, I show it as resentment, you know, like I, I won't blow mm. up and just have a big all out fight with someone. Basically I, I just like, you know, like I just stuff it down and pretend it doesn't exist. And then one day I'll die and no one has to <laughs> no one has to deal with it anymore but that is poisonous to me like i've experienced that as poisonous so there is to me like there is actually helpful language to like i don't know like a pressure relief or venting i guess i'm just straight up disagreeing with you josh cuz like i've found ways <laughs> of like really getting in tune with like expressing myself whether that be emotively like i cry a lot and i'm not ashamed to say i cry a lot like it's part of my twitter bio mm. But also, like, when I feel an actual wave of anger, like, almost literally poisoning me, it feels like it because I feel like this, like, cold wave of really gross, like, 
I just want to clench my fists and it like it starts in my chest, you know, and I feel that. And I've found that like literal exercise helps me get whatever that is like it helps break up that I almost think of it like as lactic acid, you know, and it helps that it helps break it down and helps me like get to a healthy place again. But I feel like it's part of it. I think there's I think you do more than just the venting process. Yeah, and maybe that's and maybe that's where the incorporation comes in. Even being able to recognize Mm -hmm. that, like, I've found that, you know, hopping on the bike for thirty minutes actually does help my mood. I mean, like, that's that's straight up brain chemicals, whatever, endorphins, and all the rest. Um, and that's and not that's not to invalidate it, but like, being able to incorporate that side and not just vent it out and pretend like it's never going to happen again. Like, you have to incorporate it to know that it will resurface. And and then you get mm-hmm. to move forward. How's that land? Yeah, almost in like a grief stage process. Yeah, that's kind of the way I'm hearing you. Yeah, it's almost it. like acceptance, but not necessarily grief. Right, but maybe I don't know. Maybe everything is grief. See, I think that's also possible. Like in some ways, I like to think of it as similar to physics. That like nothing is actually created or destroyed. It's just like transformed into something else. And I think that it can be helpful to think about emotions that way too. Oh, mm. yeah, I like that. Like, I think we have both seen the movie Inside Out because I feel like we've talked about it before. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Yes. Okay, you both seen it. Okay. Like, I really love how at the end, I mean, I guess spoiler alert for Inside Out if no one cares about Inside Out. I love how at the end, we like kind of broach the idea of some memories being multiple emotions or they can even Mm -hmm. like change emotions as we look back. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that also happens in the present too. Like kind of like the way you were talking about like processing anger. Like it's not like you're just complaining, but like you will literally find yourself doing a different physical activity to change your composure. Right. Mm-hmm. Or to change like the way that your body is experiencing an emotion. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we can definitely apply that to spiritual health. Uh, just like almost like transferring momentum. Yeah. I think that we can totally apply that to spiritual health. But the the difficulty is like teaching that to people. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, if you had to give a definition for spiritual health or spiritual unhealth, how would you even begin to do it? Because to be honest, I don't think the Bible talks about that a lot. Like maybe we have some in Christian tradition. Oh, I don't even know if we do. Really? Maybe it's just this idea that we made up. (laughs) We are the first. (laughs) No, I think I, and this is just my personal belief. So if y'all got beef with me, you can find me uh, on Instagram. Or on Discord. Um, I think Christianity in general has this, and it may not be intentional, but I think there is this stigma about mental health and about spiritual health that those are things that you just, you don't talk about in public. Those are things that's between you and God. Mm. You know, it's in a sense, don't air your spiritual dirty laundry, if that kind of makes sense. Um, don't ask, don't tell. In Yeesh. a sense, yeah. Yeesh. And I, f- I feel like that needs to change. I feel like it needs to be spoken about more openly because it does impact the larger community. I think there does need to be some separation, but I've heard that before. As far as you know, there's a stigma about talking about it or anything. I'm not sure if I buy that there's a stigma anymore. Like I was hearing that like five or six years ago. And now I feel like the conversation about mental health and like 
I don't know, call it self-care, call it spiritual health. I feel like I, I almost every day encounter conversations like that happening on podcasts and on Twitter and other play, other but do corners. you hear it coming from the pulpit? Well, no, because I haven't seen a pulpit in over a year. But <laughs> that's a different okay, conversation, well, I guess. Besides that. <laughs> Besides that, that's the thing is like if you're not actually hearing it come from the institution. Mm. Yeah, no, I guess I guess where I am hearing the stigma almost completely gone at this point is just is normal people like us on podcasts talking about it. And I love that. But I think we as a Christian, as an institution, as a body, you know, formed church, whatever, we need to talk about it because I do not hear many pastors actually talk about it. And if I do, how they talk about self-care drives me nuts. It absolutely mm, makes me mm. fired up. They talk about it like it's a Band-Aid regiment and just, you know, if you need a quick fill me up, just go fill up your gas tank and you're good to go. I absolutely hate that. And people ask me, well, how do you view self-care? And it's creating a lifestyle you don't want to escape from. That's exact. That's how I define it every single time. Self-care uh, is creating a lifestyle that you don't want to escape from. Wow. It's not It's not this quick go-to, oh, I just need to go take a bubble bath, or, oh, I just need to go for a walk and that's myself. No, you should be applying self-care in every aspect of your life, every day. Uh, the, more, the more we treat it like it's just something that's temporary or only available when needed... You're not actually caring for yourself. <laughs> it needs to be something that is a constant. It's something that has to be not just supplemental, but purely a part of who you are. And I feel like just even changing my definition of self-care, because I used to be one of those people that saw it as, oh, I'm just really down. I need self-care. Once I started changing my outlook of self-care and my spiritual health, I've become a more well-rounded individual and I can handle situations better and and deal with grief and deal with whatever life throws at me in a way that's wholesome and healthy but I can also enjoy the ups of life, you know, the the really big joyous occasions and that's self-care too. That's the thing is like it can all be self-care. Like you can be a well-rounded, spiritually healthy person not just as a band-aid regiment, mm. but in all areas of life. And you don't hear that from the pulpit. Stephen, I'm so glad you hear it from podcasts and from other avenues. But I guarantee you, if you were to step foot into a church, you wouldn't hear a pastor say that. And that is what needs to change. So two two thoughts I have now is, one, man, I, I can't tell you how much I love this definition of creating a lifestyle that you don't want to escape from. You're welcome. I love that. <laughs> That's going to be sitting with me for a while. Um, to be honest, it really just sounds like you're describing what the original vision of Sabbath was from the beginning, mm -hmm. like Sabbath rest. And it's not it's not yeah. something that you only partake in once you're experiencing burnout, but it happens w once every seven days. Yeah. Well, and even just the concept of rest is different, too. Yeah, totally. I do like the definition, but I can also see its limitations. And even limitations like cross-culturally. Mm. Oh, like yeah. That might, that might be a good example of like, that idea might work really well in America for spiritual health. Absolutely. But people in other countries have like significantly more problems in a lot of different capacities than 
we like we just don't have to worry about sometimes. Uh, oh, definitely. But I do like your definition regarding like spiritual health. Like I feel like it could work for like spiritual type things, I guess. I think so. And not so. necessarily the material things. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Okay, so I had this thought as you were saying this too. What do you think about do you think that there is an equal or similar curve over a person's lifetime regarding spiritual care in the same way that there is a curve of care for us physically over our lifetime? Like just as like when we are born, like we cannot take care of ourselves for quite a few years. Mm. Um, and same way, like at the end of life, like we will get to a point where like we cannot take care of ourselves again. And on both ends of the spectrum, we literally cannot create the life that we want to live. And someone else has to do it for us. Do you think that there is an equal curve over the course of our spiritual journey where we need care on both ends? Or do you think it's like more linear? I well, So if we if we look at the curve first of a physical life. Even in between infancy and geriatric stage, I think we still have people who care for us. Oh, totally, totally. But we're, I think we're a lot more independent. We are more independent, but we still have people who care for us because mm. there are things that we may not entirely are capable of providing for ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so I think rather than seeing as a curve, but more of like a wavelength, maybe. Like maybe not as extreme, but I think some some ebbs and flows, then I would say, yes, I mm. think there is a very similar wavelength in the spiritual sense. Like peaks and troughs you're describing? Yeah. Uh, no, I think it's more of a bell curve. I don't I don't like the mountain valley approach. <laughs> like, I feel like I've heard that way too many times. They're like, like you're going to have the mountains and you're going to have the valleys and but you are. I don't know. I I get the imagery, but I don't think I like. I don't think I don't think it's accurate. Well, here let me let's put it into perspective then. So I'm going to have a baby in sure. like five five weeks, right? And actually, and you will literally this, need help with it. By the time this episode comes out, I would have already had Miss Thea. Oh, um, well, congratulations! So that's just that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh. Weird. But yeah, and so that's the thing is like, I'm providing the need for my child, but I'm going to have people helping me. And yeah, so like I think, I think that we're all going to have low points or like time when yeah. we need more support from people. And so that's why I would say it's not necessarily like these mountains and valleys. I think it's kind of more like a really short like wavelength. You know what I mean? Where it's mm. it's not so drastic, but there are you can tell that there are differences. And sure. that. Yeah. Because I think if we just simplify it as a bell curve, that's no, I mm -mm, I don't see that. I think well, I can agree that there's going to be ebbs and flows. But do you think that there are extremes on either end of our spiritual journey in the same way that there are extremes physically for us? Yes. Are, yeah. Are you viewing this bell curve on a timeline? I just need to clarify that for myself. Yeah. Like it's I think not a so. distribution curve we're describing. It's actually like early life to later life. I mm -hmm. right. I exactly. think I prefer I I think I prefer hoping that my spiritual life will continue on a linear progression upward. Mm. Cuz like, you know, like we we've met those people who are in their 60s or 70s or beyond that are like just seem to be the most centered, gentle, 
humble, like peaceful people on the planet. That like, is so true. I've met those kind of people and I'm just like, oh my God, I want to be like you when I grow up. Like this is. Oh, if yeah. I, if that I, makes me think of so many members of my congregation. <laughs> right. Like if I could, if I could live a life like you did, I think we'll all be okay. You know? So I, I think I like to prefer that or like I'll hope that mine looks like that. Josh, when I hear you describe the bell curve, I'm imagining the curmudgeonly grumpy older <laughs> members of our society that are like, oh, yeesh, like <laughs> not a lot happened there. Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't want to be like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I guess that's what I hear when you describe that bell curve. And I'm like, I would prefer it not to be that way. But maybe what you're describing is that's actually the way it is because like as as we age like we do need more help in our later years in a spiritual sense cuz we're dealing with issues that we weren't dealing with in the same capacity like facing our own mortality like yes we could die at any moment but when you're in your geriatric stage like you are pretty close to knocking on death's door and we're uh -huh. not experiencing that in a spiritual sense like we are when we're in our 20s Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. The other the place that I notice this in the church that I think could support this idea is the fact that so many churches just completely lack the age group from 30 to 50. Almost always. Amen. Unless it's like unless it's like parents with kids, in which case I think is like more support for people tending to want spiritual support at the beginning or the end of their spiritual mm. journeys. Mm. Versus like a lot of people, I think, in the middle, I would argue, are much more likely to be exploring, be thinking for themselves, kind of just like be living life on their own as they're like growing into being their independent selves and like figuring out what they want in life and like figuring out what it means to build the life that you don't want to escape from. Yeah. And then maybe the pendulum swings backwards on spiritual care and you realize, oh, yes, I am going to die soon, probably. Mm -hmm. And I would yeah. like a religious community. Like, I think that some people like find themselves swinging back in an unexpected way. And I think we, I think we could connect spiritual health. Here's too. a totally random question, um, but I think it's worth exploring. As we talk about exorcism, just in the sense of like expulsing, you know, releasing something. We as exorcists, okay, like we are performing said exorcism. What are those things in society or in your personal life or whatever? What are the demons, quote unquote, that we should try to exorcise from our world? Because I can think of some off the top of my head. Yeah, what would you say immediately like, after asking ra that? Racism, sexism. Again, I would say, like, I think we can absolutely recognize spiritual unhealth, like things are not as they should be. And I think yeah. anyone who believes in total depravity should absolutely believe in that. Yes. Yes. But like, I don't think we necessarily have to say I'm going to get in my soapbox again. I don't think we necessarily have to say that's a demon or something is possessed. Like, mm -hmm. I think we're really quick to like slap a label on it instead we of just labels. simply yeah. saying like, this isn't as it should be. Let's fix it. Mm hmm. I'm trying to think of any other examples off the top of my head. Part of me wants to go with anger. Ooh. Like, I think, personally, I know we could talk Enneagram for a while, but I think there's way too many angry Christians out there. 
Oh, <laughs> like yeah. people who get angry about issues instead mm. of like working towards a solution. Like for instance, abortion. Mm. Literally nobody wants abortions to happen. Nobody. A lot of people want to advocate for access to abortions, but that's different in my mind than wanting people to get abortions. To get an abortion. Yeah. Oh, good. That's a good and one, Josh. People get really angry about it. Like honestly, I don't want to like finger point. I think both sides can express anger about the issue regardless of like how they label themselves pro-life, pro-choice or like whether they use a different label entirely. But I think that people can get really caught up in the anger of advocating for what they think is right. And I think we could distinguish better between passion and anger. Ooh. Like, I don't think, like, for instance, like we could talk about fruit of the spirit. Anger is not a fruit of the spirit. You can totally be passionate about an issue and like work towards a solution without being angry about it. I think we could totally look at misplaced anger as something as n not being as it should be. That's a very good one, Josh. A plus. Maybe anger a is a good one, way to Thank kick you. off the passion. You know, maybe maybe anger was just never intended to be like a long sustaining fuel for how we, you know, like work toward the ends that we want to see accomplished in the mm. world. Because there is something in me that just kind of that disagrees with with calling anger something we should like exercise. If that's if that's mm. the framing we're giving it because i i don't experience anger as a negative it's more of a what about hostility it's like a revealing agent you know it's like mm. anger is like passing the black light over and seeing what lights up maybe that's not a good way of thinking about it but i like hostility emily i like when anger mm. becomes something that is like asked to burn for a really long time i don't know that's how i experience resentment like there's an anger that kind of like flashes when I'm in conflict mm -hmm. and I know to listen to that. And I also know that I should not let it like continue to like seep into my bones because that then it becomes resentment or maybe hostility is a good word for it. I'd want to do some more thinking about anger because like, I don't know, my gut just tells me that anger itself is not the problem, but maybe an attitude toward it. I also think it's good to talk about like the subjectivity of things like this. Like, I think we could absolutely talk broad scope and be like, well, these things in the broad world in general are like things that we should eradicate and like work to fix. And I think that those are really easy to identify, even though I don't think they're easy to fix. Hmm. But I also think it's good to point out like the subjective nature of identifying the things along the way that we ourselves realize, oh, I shouldn't do that anymore for my own spiritual health. Yeah, right. Like, I think that not only should we be open to, like, that being a process and a journey, but also, like, it's literally going to be different for everyone. I will admit, I think that my Baptist upbringing <laughs> taught me well that you should not be a stumbling block for others. <laughs> like, <laughs> just because one person struggles with alcoholism doesn't mean everyone's going to, but you probably shouldn't drink around them. Yeah. Oh. Like for someone else's yeah. own spiritual health sake. And I think that that's a great example of like the subjective nature of spiritual health. Like there I are agree. definitely broad generalizations we can make, but also everyone is going to have their own pinpoints and everyone is like on a process for creating their own life they don't want to escape. Hmm. Wow. I feel like we've shared so much. What are are there any last last notes or or things that we need to touch on before we 
conclude? Any new insight or things that you still are questioning? I'm still so fascinated and interested in what people think that they see that clues them in Mm -hmm. to a a non-human presence being present. Whether it's a ghost or a demon or anything. Like when someone thinks that they see physical evidence of something non-physical. But I guess the same could be said for like spiritual health and like spiritual problems. So I don't know. That one's interesting to me. I think it's fascinating. Oh, I don't want to open another can of worms, but maybe it's just they haven't. No, do it. Do it. They haven't studied, heard of, or like given enough time to listen to like ideas of psychology that might fill the gap that that demon used to fill. You know, Mm. like, you know, I think that's possible for a lot of people. But then I think of like that psychiatrist that was teaching us that knows the difference between dissociative identity and schizophrenia versus spiritual health. That's a good point. So I don't know. It's a hard one. I want to keep exploring the balance of the spiritual world. And the idea of expulsing something and mental health. It makes me think of an episode of Criminal Minds where there's a priest who's, you know, exercising demons from people. And essentially, like, he's killing the people that he's attempting to free from the demon because they're having, like, a heart attack. Or they, you know, they are dehydrated. They're malnourished. Whatever the case may be. Like, I'm just so fascinated with the idea of the spiritual world and our duty to, I guess, for those who need to rid the world of demons if that's what they're called to and your physical health and your mental health and how they are they tied together you know are they on a, oh i think on they're a, inexplicably linked yeah and i want to just keep exploring that for sure um i have a question i think we should end on <gasps> what is your favorite i especially because i liked your soapbox about self-care and it shouldn't just be a band-aid remedy so my question to both of you is what is your favorite or like go-to practice of spiritual health? This is this feels like a no normal people question. I love it. I love the energy. <laughs> um I am going to sound like a broken record cuz I've been saying this for years, but I think everyone should keep a journal and write in it every day. Like a morning pages kind of thing, like artist way or like a Artist way, like artist way is specifically designed to throw away. It's a it it actually is oh, that's a good point. It is actually advocating for like a venting process where you just like barf it all out on the page, crumple it up, throw it away, and then start your day. Yeah, I keep a notebook, and I I've kind of designed for myself my own prompts of what I like to think about every day. So like I'm paying attention to like the first and last thing that my wife wants to talk about every day. Um, I read a chapter mm. of scripture and I kind of meditate on it. I have uh, lines to identify like three things I'm grateful for every morning and every night. And I have a section that basically is just like, I consider it basically taking notes on my day. It's kind of a summary or just like things that came up that I thought were noteworthy or anything like that. But yeah, just, just a regular practice of sitting down with a notebook for 10 minutes is awesome. And as they say, you don't need to p- feel guilty if you haven't done it ever. You know, the best time to p- 
plant a tree is 10 years ago, but the second best time is now. So, Oh, I like that. That's a good line. So start journaling. Yeah, it's a Chinese proverb, I believe. Hmm. At me on Twitter, too, if you want to talk about journaling. I could talk about it forever. It's funny that you mentioned journaling because I did really like journaling for a long time. Hmm. Now you got to get back and, into it. And I, I don't like it anymore. After a while, I just didn't feel like it was helpful for me. Doesn't add value. So like maybe it was like helpful for a time, and now it feels really distracting and unhelpful. And but maybe I'll like come back to it. I don't know. Maybe. I what I like to do. I I've never bought a notebook or a journal that has like prompts printed on the page for me. I just keep a red pen next to my notebook as well as the black one I write with. And whenever I feel like a prompt that I've designed for myself isn't serving me anymore. I just change it. I just find something else that oh. I want to start paying attention to. So like my journal, yeah. the journal I started four years ago looks nothing like the one I, that I wrote in this morning, but it's, it's the practice of writing for me that helps me, but it doesn't always have to be on the same thing. What about you, Emily? What do you like to do as your spiritual health practice? This is going to sound so bizarre. I love cleaning. Mm. I love I love the idea of like taking out my vacuum and like just going over any room of the house doing dishes like cleaning the <laughs> cleaning the bathroom even it's something that is just so there's a there's a release but at the same time there's like a productivity that I'm allowing myself to be busy. I'm allowing myself to like get things done and I'm not seeing it as a chore. That's what I love about it is it's actually something that's a part of my everyday life that is allowing me to create it as something more mm. where I can just be with myself, be present to myself. And there are things that are getting done and I know that they can get done at any part of the day. I know that they can get done whenever but just to say like oh i'm having such a rough day or you know i just need to get my mind off of something or just for the hell of it to say i want to do the dishes <laughs> and to have that release of anything that's built up anything that just needs to get done but seeing it as something more than just mundane and routine mm. i love that i just love the spontaneous final product of oh look i don't see dog hair on the carpet anymore or mm. oh look i loaded the dishwasher and now i can just like do whatever but it was still something that for me was a release and it wasn't just this demanding task of housework it was it, there's something about it that i created to be something more yeah and i think it's i entirely get that from my mother thanks linda uh shout out <laughs> Cinderella <laughs> mode, you know, just getting things done. No, I, I like that answer. I relate to yeah, that. I like the meditative. It, it, it has become like a meditative experience to wash dishes by hand for me. Like yes. the warm water, the soap, just like just doing it. I don't know. It just it's really satisfying too, Emily, I like the way this is working with your your own even your own definition of like there was a house that was covered in dog hair and you got the vacuum out and now you've actively created a house you do not want to escape. <laughs> yeah. Like now I can walk barefoot around my house and it just feels so nice. Like and that. to have that at any time that I'm like, I am capable of cleaning it. Like 
I'm not waiting for someone else to do it. I'm not waiting to the point where it's so bad that now I have to. It's just I want to do it because I can. Mm. What about you, Josh? I do relate to yours a bit, Emily, like the curation of a space, Mm -hmm. whether it's at work or in my own room. I, I relate to that one, I think. But the first one off the top of my head is appreciation for like my food and my drinks. Oh. Like, we haven't really talked about this on the pot, but I, I don't really see the reason to pray <laughs> around <gasps> meals. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, it's just kind of a personal pet peeve of mine. But what I really Preach. do appreciate is, like, being present to the food and the drinks that I'm drinking. And not just, like, in a critical way, like, oh, this sucks, or, like, this is amazing. Mm. But, like, drinking a drink for the sake of drinking a drink and appreciating it. I like that. As a Methodist, eating. I can get behind that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I wish my answer was cooking because I do like cooking. But I think what I'm really chasing, the dragon that I'm really after, is appreciation of the thing that I'm physically consuming. Like, I really enjoy the intake mm. much more than the expelling. Not like the poop, but like the... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like the venting. <laughs> That's not much better. That's not much better. (laughs) There's a there's a food exorcism going on in Josh's home. (laughs) I did not even think about that as I said that. Um, So I honestly I think that I think about food and drinks like on a near spiritual level. I I love having. I realize that I love having a drink in my hand, and honestly. I love that we have literally built it into the podcast to like make a point to drink something and talk about it because yeah. I love doing that. I'm pretty sure it was your idea, Josh. <laughs> you were I the one. It that... was. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Like that's the reason why I like hosting people to talk about philosophy over beer or like making people a drink or a coffee. Like mm-hmm. I love the inherent value of drinks. And for me, it's important. Um, the other one I thought of was. Music and learning. I think that I just enjoy both of those so much. And I think that's why I like listening to podcasts so much. So, yeah, yeah those are mine. I have a lot of them, it turns out. You do, <laughs> I, re- I yeah. realized right after I asked it. That's good. Wow. Oh, this was so nice. Yeah, this is not where I expected to go, talking about exorcisms. We really covered a lot of ground there. Yeah, we did. From You're exorcisms welcome. to self-care. Yes. Let's see. I, I've got nothing else. Do you have a blessing for us? I sure do. Whether there are demons that we are exercising or exercising our right to freedom and self-care, know that there are so many avenues that we can explore when it comes to spiritual well-being, physical well-being, and the ties between the two. Make sure you take rest. Make sure you take time to explore and find those things that feed you. And be sure to expulse those demons, whatever they may look like.
Welcome to the Into Podcast, where we seek to insight, insight, pursuing truth for the sake of wonder. Meet my parents. That's, That's us. us. I'm Pops. I'm the cotton candy queen. My wife, Katie. Hello. My best friend, Kevin. Am I the best friend or the wife? And me, Alex. Hey. Join us to have an honest and encouraging conversation about whatever it is that we're into. Highline Media Network, normal people in normal places.